0: You're listening to audio from Plankrow Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankrowharvest.org. So tonight we're going to be in Job chapter 39, and uh, I usually don't put a disclaimer on anything, but I've probably been more mentally and emotionally taxed this week than I have in a very long time, and so I hope this is okay. Uh, It's a shorter chapter, so it's probably going to be shorter. I actually, I didn't tell Sarah this, but I was at Walmart last night, and I just talked to so many people on the phone and dealt with so many people, and my head's been spinning, and I came out of Walmart, and it took me like 10 minutes to find my truck. (laughs) I was like, I don't even remember where I (laughs) parked. So so this could be interesting. But, you know, we've heard God speak, and uh, so I told you last week about these four rounds of questions, and last week we looked at three of those. And God... uh, basically just was asking these questions of Job that he didn't expect an answer from, but he was revealing his complete control over the creation of the earth and over control over the natural processes. So he talked about the weather, he talked about sunrise and sunset, and all these things that he's in control of. I guess if you think about in the physical realm, so to speak, and uh, the emphasis was kind of on, hey, listen, Job, I'm in control of all these things. I have knowledge of all these things. You obviously don't. So that should cause you to trust in me, not to doubt me. If if I'm in control of these things and you're not, if I can do these things and you can't, why do you doubt me? You should be trusting me. Uh, you shouldn't be questioning me, right? And so we get to chapter 29, and we've got this or 39. We've got this fourth round of questions, and it's interesting because God kind of shifts, and now He talks about living things, and uh, He's reinforcing that same point that I'm in complete control, Job. I always act with a purpose, and so. Because of that you should trust me completely. And so let's read chapter thirty nine and then we'll we'll walk through it. But it says he's speaking God speaking to Job, and he said, Do you know when mountain goats give birth? Have you watched the deer in labor? Can you count the months they are pregnant, so you can know the time they give birth? They crouch down to give birth to their young, they deliver their newborn, their offspring are healthy, and grow up in the open field. They leave and do not return. Who set the wild donkey free? Who releases the swift donkey from its harness? I made the desert its home and the salty wasteland its dwelling. It scoffs at the noise of the village and never hears the shouts of a driver. It roams the mountains for its pasture land, searching for anything green. Would the wild ox be willing to serve you? Would it spend the night by your feeding trough? Can you hold the wild ox to a furrow by its harness? Will it plow the valleys behind you? Can you depend on it because its strength is great? Would you leave it to do your hard work? Can you trust the wild ox to harvest your grain and bring it to your threshing floor? The wings of the ostrich flap joyfully, but are her feathers and plumage like the stork's? She abandons her eggs on the ground and lets them be warmed in the sand. She forgets that a foot may crush them or that some wild animal may trample them. She treats her young harshly, as if they were not her own, with no fear that her labor may have been in vain, for God has deprived her of wisdom. He has not endowed her with understanding. When she proudly spreads her wings, she laughs at the horse and its rider. Do you give strength to the horse? Do you adorn his neck with a mane? Do you make him leap like a locust? His proud snorting fills one with terror. His paws in the valley and rejoice in his strength. Or he paws in the valley and he rejoices in his strength. He charges into battle. He laughs at fear, since he is afraid of nothing. He does not run from the sword. A quiver rattles at his side, along with a flashing spear and a javelin. He charges ahead with trembling rage. He cannot stand still at the trumpet's sound. When the trumpet blasts, he snorts defiantly. He smells the battle from a distance. He hears the officer's shouts and the battle cry. Does the hawk take flight by your understanding and spread its wings to the south? Does the eagle soar at your command and make its nest on high? It lives on a cliff where it spends the night. Its stronghold is on a rocky crag. From there, it searches for prey, its eyes penetrate the distance, its brood gulps down blood, and where the slain are, it is there. So you see, God speaks about all of these different living creatures. And again, he's trying to, to get the message across to Job that I'm in control of all of these things that you don't even really think about. You just take them for granted or it's not even on your mind. I'm in control of those things. I, basically, I've got this. You know, you're concerned about your situation, and if I'm in control of all of these small little details, I've got it. I've got it under control. Trust in me. And he starts with, with goats and deer, and again, he's using these rhetorical questions to make his point, and he references the life cycle of goats, of mountain goats and deer, and he basically asks Job, hey, Job, have you taken time to notice how the mountain goats give birth or watch the deer in labor? And if you think about job i'm I'm assuming that perhaps he had seen these things. if he hadn't seen these things, he'd seen his own livestock give birth and uh so he had some some small knowledge of those things, but it wasn't it wasn't a priority in his life right it wasn't it wasn't what he was uh totally locked in on, and he didn't study those things in great detail and then and then God doubles down and, and he asks, well do you understand the details?" of the pregnancy, of the development of their kids, of the rearing of their kids? And and the case is no. I mean, obviously no. Job Job doesn't. And and God's making the point here that, listen, Job, I know things that you don't know. It's almost like God was saying to Job, you don't even know about these things. They seem unimportant to you, and yet they're critically important to me. I can't even take care of the the... the the mountain goat that's on the corner of the mountain that you can't even see, on the mountain that you don't even know, like I know when it's pregnant, I know how that cycle works, and I'm taking care of that goat to make sure that it can deliver its young, and not only deliver it, take care of it. He's saying, I, I understand all of these details. And if you notice, I think you can notice you, the tone of God's statement. I know from text it's hard to, to read that, but it's almost like the tone is, God's, God's kind of casual about that it's just it's just what i do you know it's not like it's difficult for me um i know all those details i understand those processes i'm not i don't really under over, understand them. i oversee them and so while it's important it's not difficult for god and and if you think about job i mean it's obvious he he couldn't control all of those things i mean i can't control when the mountain goat gets pregnant i can't control when the mountain goat gives birth but uh he could, learn about, he could learn about those things, but if you think about mankind, if you think about your own human mind, it'd take him a lifetime to understand that. Just take the mountain goat, or just take the deer. I mean, he could study the deer for the rest of his life, and he could understand in pretty good detail what goes on with the deer or the mountain goat, but that's all he'd know. He wouldn't know anything else, and God's saying, yeah, I got that, and I got that, and it's no big deal, and I got everything else too. I mean, if you think about it, that's what scientists do today, right? You've got scientists that specialize, and they, they study, and they're very smart, and they know all the details of one very little niche area, but that's all I know, and it shows the limitness, the, limit, the limited capacity of the human mind in comparison to, to what God has under control and the knowledge that he has. And I think that's what God's point is to a degree when he's trying to get this message across to Job. It's like it takes so much effort to even gain a small amount of knowledge and yet God knows it all and it's casual. It's just what he does. It's who he is. And so that's impressive to say the least, right? And it should cause us to to understand on whatever scale we're capable of understanding, you know, who God is and how great he is and what he has under control. And so he shifts next to, to wild donkeys and ox. And, uh, I, th- I think what he's trying to get across here is this idea of control. He's talking about control. And he asks Job, who sets the wild donkey free? In other words, he's asking Job, why is the wild donkey wild? I mean, wh- why is that? And the answer is because I'm, I deemed it that way. I'm God, and I said that's the way it's going to be, and that's how it is. I made the decision as God to set the wild donkey free, and God takes ownership of that decision. He set it free. He allows it to roam. And he asked Job the same question about wild ox. And he he kind of presses on Job and says, Hey, Job, can you control the wild ox? I mean, it's wild, but can you control it? Can you use it for your own bidding? Can you use it for your own work? I mean, if you simplify that, it's like, Job, can can the wild ox do what you want it to do? When you want it to do it? And, And the answer is no. And I think the point that God's trying to make is this idea, it's this greater point about control. And it's interesting, uh, not, you know, we could go a lot of different directions right here, but not to dive too deeply into politics and all that mess, but humans crave control. They crave control. And the crazy thing is that we believe, or we try to believe, that we actually have it. That I actually have control over all these different areas of my life. And if we're honest with ourselves, that, that idea is laughable. Like the idea that I control anything is laughable. And you, you've heard this saying, I'm sure you've heard, that if you, if you lie to yourself long enough, you're going to start to believe it. right? And that's true, and it's true with this area of control. If, if I lie to myself long enough and say, I've got this under control, I'm the one that's in charge of it, I've got it completely under control, then I start to believe that. But if I ask the question of you, you know, what do you control in your life? I think, I think that most of us, if we were honest, would admit that there's nothing that we completely control. I mean, we don't want to admit that because we bind to this illusion and this lie of, of control. But, but that we don't have any control. God's the one with control. I think that's the point that he's trying to make here is that, listen, I'm in complete control. You don't control that ox. You don't control that that wild donkey, I control those things. And, and here's the big problem. I think, I think underneath maybe the undercurrent here of what God's trying to get at is, here's the big problem, Job. You want to control me. And we fall into the same trap. Like, we think we've got to control all, all these other areas, and we also, well, I want to control God. You know, I want to I make God what I want Him to be, not what He is. And if we look back at what Job has said throughout this book as we've studied it, you know, there's many instances where Job has demanded certain things of God. I mean, he, he said, I want to be heard. I, I want all of these things. And in a sense, he's saying, I want to control God. And God's telling him, listen, you can't even control these wild animals. Don't think that you can control me. But the good news there is we don't need to control God or we don't need to control anything else. Because he's demonstrating here to Job, the message that he's trying to get across is, I've got it covered, Job. I've got it covered. I'm in complete control. I control all these other things. And while you can't trust the wild oxen to do your work, you can trust me. I'm going to look out for you. Just like I care about all these other things. I just talked to you about the mountain goat. I just talked to you about the deer. I talked to you about all the small details of their life and how I have all of those things under control. I'm caring for that animal. And if I'm caring for that animal, why wouldn't I care for you? I mean, that's the very words of Jesus, right? When he talked about the sparrows. It's like, if your heavenly father's going to take care of them, why wouldn't he take care of you? And that's what God's telling Job here. No situation, no predicament is too large for God. And that's what Job needs to understand, and that's what we need to understand. There are going to be highs in our life. There are going to be lows in our life. We're going to deal with difficulty. But it's nothing that God doesn't know. It's nothing that he doesn't understand, and it's nothing that he can't control. He moves on, and, and this is a really, really interesting passage uh, in verses 13 through 18. He starts to talk about wisdom. And uh, like I said, this is, this is difficult. This is a difficult few verses here, and depending on the translation you're reading, and I had to dig deep in some commentaries, but, but you've got God speaking. He's talking about an ostrich and a stork. He's talking about these two different birds. And, and what he's doing is he's comparing the two and how both of these birds are completely free and yet they take that freedom and they handle it very differently. And so he says the ostrich enjoys her freedom but it's not very wise with that freedom. It's not very wise when it comes to its own eggs, to when it comes to its own children. And on the contrary, he looks at the stork and he said the stork is very faithful and very wise. Because the stork takes care of her eggs. And so, in just doing a little research, and I think I'm close. Do your own research. I think I'm close to this. But it's talking about a group of ostriches. I think they're called the hens. But you take a group of ostriches, and they can lay several eggs. Like, I think I read somewhere, like a whole group can lay like 70 to 80 eggs. And so, apparently, what happens is there's this queen or this chief ostrich that sits on them all. Okay? But the problem is, that the nest can only hold around 20. So there's 70 eggs or 80 eggs. It can only hold 20 in the nest, and the rest just kind of get pushed out. And so what happens is when they get pushed out, now they get trampled on. They just get stepped on and destroyed. And you you think about all the hard work that goes into producing those eggs, to hatching those eggs, and yet you've got the ostrich who mistreats, what, two-thirds, three-fourths of them? So you've only got 20 that actually are taken care of in the nest. So they, the ostrich has no regard for all of these other eggs. She's got no fear or concern for them. But the stork is the one that takes care of every egg that, that it lays and makes sure that they all hatch. It's Very careful. And so you, you ask the question, well, why, why? Why would the ostrich be that stupid? I mean, that's what I would ask when I read. Why would the ostrich be that stupid? And why is the stork so wise? Well, it says clearly that the ostrich has been deprived of wisdom by God. Now, we know, right? I mean, if you were, I don't know, people are weird, man. I, I, admittedly, I'm weird because I'll watch videos of people opening packs of baseball cards, and I really enjoy that. But people will stare at like an eagle cam and watch an eagle. Ooh, look at that eagle. I mean, that's, I'm not going to do that. But but if you happen to watch a the ostrich, Right? If we watched the video of an ostrich and you watched it push those eggs out and you watched, the, watched those eggs get trampled on, you'd be like, that's not good. Like, why would the bird do that? That's not very wise. We understand that. You don't treat your young poorly, right? You don't treat your own children like that. So we understand that there's a lack of understanding going on there. And while we don't understand that, we don't understand why that is, God has chosen to withhold the wisdom from the ostrich. But that's not the case with you, and it's not the case with me. Right? Because James one five clearly tells us it says if man seeks wisdom, he should ask God. And God's going to provide it, because he's faithful. So so I think what God's trying to get at here is mankind doesn't have to be like the ostrich, because true wisdom is available from God. So the point he's trying to make is Job, why are you acting like this dumb bird? I mean that's basically what he's saying. If, if God spoke in slang, that's what he would say. Why are you acting like that dumb bird, Job? And if, if you, that's what he said. If you go back to 38.2, it's interesting. You connect those two passages. In 38.2, when God first speaks, he says, Who is this who obscures my counsel with ignorant words? Hey, dumb bird, <laughs> who are you? I mean, that's what he's saying. Job is being just as careless as the ostrich. So that's point number one. And then the second point is, if you're acting like the dumb bird, then how can you question God? Right? The ostrich is the one without wisdom. Job, you're clearly acting without wisdom. Now here's the difference. The ostrich has no choice. I withhold wisdom from the ostrich. I'm not withholding it from you. You're just not seeking it. So, why are, you, why are you questioning me? Why are you questioning me when you lack wisdom and understanding? So, really, what he's saying is, don't be the dumb bird. Don't be the dumb bird, Job. That's because, here's, here's why. Because that's not who I designed you to be. It's not who I designed you to be. And that's a lesson that we need to learn as well. Like how, When we don't understand so many things, we like to think very highly of ourselves. But when we don't understand so many things, how are we in a position to question God? Because he, he knows everything. He goes on and he, he talks about the horse. And he briefly mentioned the horse there when he was talking about the ostrich. And now he expands on that. And this, this passage seems to be talking about a horse. It's like a, it's like a warrior horse. It's like this is a horse that would go into battle. And and God asks Job, he says, did you give the horse its strength? And again, the obvious question is no. Job didn't give the horse its strength. And and God goes on and he says, well, what about its appearance? What about its mane? What about its prowess? You know, what about its courage? It can do all these amazing things. The horse is immensely useful to mankind. You got anything to do with that? And obviously the answer is no. And God's demonstrating that, hey, this, this horse is a method of my grace to mankind and yet mankind's done nothing to contribute to any of these qualities it's just a method of my grace and unlike job the horse it hasn't displayed fear right it it, he says clearly it's it's going to charge ahead it can't stand still it's going to snort defiantly it's ready for the battle the horse has not displayed fear, but it's displayed complete trust. It knows its role, and it fulfills its role faithfully. It doesn't shy away from the battle, but it invites the battle, and it charges in. And I've, I've got to believe, I'm stepping out on a ledge here because I found this nowhere in studying, but I've got to believe that God, on some level, is trying to convey this idea of trust and obedience with Job. Because if you think about war, it's a crazy thing. You know, there's no comfort in war. There is no peace in war. If if you think about soldiers, you know, I specifically think about World War II soldiers, Vietnam soldiers, you know, those guys that went into battle, typically when they come back, they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to talk about it. I mean, you've heard many stories, I'm sure, of, like, my grandpa was in the war, and, like, I never heard nothing about it. I mean, they don't want to talk about it because it's, it's, it's not... It's not a peaceable thing. It doesn't bring up good thoughts in the mind, right? And those guys, typically, I know there's a lot of Vietnam guys, they came back and they had large difficulty adjusting back to normal society because of the craziness of war. But, with that said, what does the faithful soldier do? The faithful soldier, he trusts the mission, he's obedient to the task that's laid before him, and he charges into battle, just like this warrior horse. But when we compare those things With the actions of Job, on some level it seems like Job has fallen short a little bit, right? Because he's questioned as opposed to trusting God. Now, it's easy for me to say that. I wasn't in Job's situation. I mean, I think if we put Job up against us, Job would look like a champion. (laughs) But Job still has questioned God as opposed to trusting him completely. He's not charged ahead. Job is not charged ahead. Where do we find him sitting? In a trash heap licking his wounds, right? He's been paralyzed by all this frustration and calamity that's come around him. He hasn't charged into battle. He's not completely trusting God. And God is just reminding Job of that, I think, and he's reminding Job of, listen, I'm the one who made the horse this way. And he's reminding reminding Job of that, but I think he's also calling on Job to act more like the horse. He's like, display full trust and obedience. I got it. I mean, if you look at... I'm a simple man, and if you look at 38 and 39, I think the overarching theme is, I got it. I got it, man. I got it. You can trust in me. He ends with the hawk and the eagle. He talks about these two birds. And uh, essentially says, look, just their ability to fly and soar in the air, like that's an example... Of the power and majesty of God. And not only can they fly. But they fly with purpose. And they're skilled birds of prey. Right? Their eyesight is, is great. And they can spot prey from far off. They have great instincts. And everything they do. Down to the finest details. Such as where they build their nests. All of those things are controlled by God. And again. It's just another example. As he rounds out this. This round of questions. Of God's knowledge. Control and might. Right? He's in control of all those things. He's. He. He. He's detailed several animals. And, and here's the crazy thing. We tend to, I mean, we think about what's before us, right? And so you've got a small collection of all of these animals. But what's not here? How about every other animal on the planet? And all of these things are equally true of God's control and knowledge over them as well. That's, that's immense knowledge. And yet what do we do as fallible humans? We get the tendency to question God when we know so little. Right? He knows all of these things and, and we know so little and yet we're the ones that question him. When truthfully he's probably the ones should be questioning us, like why are you again, why are you acting like that dumb bird? <laughs> like why come on, man, that's not who I created you to be. So these two chapters, 38 30 and thirty nine, you know, they round out these four rounds of questions from 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 God to Job, to just demonstrate the greatness of God compared with these large limits of mankind. And when we have these limits in place, that puts us in no position to question God. It's it's not... I like to... Maybe pride's the wrong word. I like to pride myself on being a a logical and rational individual. And it's not rational. You know, when, when I know the limit of me, and I question essentially the greatness of God, it's not a rational position at all. It's not logical. It doesn't make sense. God simply wants Job and he wants you to know I've got everything covered and I can be completely trusted. Right? And he's like, Job, just buy into that and I think he's calling on us to do the same thing. Like just buy into that. Quit quit the struggle and quit the fight and quit quit buying into this illusion that you're in control of things and like if I just do this a little bit harder I can make it happen. I got it. I got it. Trust in me. Like, that's where you need to put all your emphasis. Trust in me, and I've got it. And so just in closing, you know, what does that mean for us on a day-to-day basis? I think I got five points for you. The first one was just everything down to the finest details are important to God. Everything down to the finest details are important to God. You know, just like you talked with the goat, just like you talked with a deer, and then you look at your life and you think about, all of these things that seemingly you would think the creator of the universe doesn't care about. He cares about it. He knows about it. And not only does he care about it know about it, he's in control of it. The second point was, was just, you know, we can't buy into the illusion of control. We can't buy into that illusion of control because it's a, that's a path you don't want to go down. Because it's only going to lead to heartache and... And more anxiety and more stress. I mean, does that mean that we don't need to work hard? No. Does that mean that we don't need to do our best? No. But I'm not in complete control. At the end of the day, things aren't going to go exactly the way I want them to go. They're going to go the way that God wants them to go. And I have to trust in Him that He's put the plan before me and I'm to be faithful to it. But when I, when I buy into the illusion of control, I'm, I'm not... I'm not giving him control, which is a bad place to be. The third point was just, as believers, we have to strive to attain God's wisdom and be careful not to act like those who have no regard for it. That's just a fancy way of saying, don't act like a dumb bird. <laughs> you know, we have recognize, I guess what I'm trying to say is, recognize the opportunity that's before you. I mean, if I have an opportunity to gain true wisdom from the creator of the universe if he wants to actively give it to me then what kind of fool am i to turn that opportunity down or turn it away and yet so many people and and we're all guilty at times you know we want to chase after our own wisdom i mean that's essentially that's my job in high school in a nutshell like quit chasing after your own wisdom like quit doing what you think is cool because that guy said it was cool you know, and we as adults fall into the same trap. You know, our, our job is to strive to attain God's wisdom. Because if we do that as faithful believers, it's going to overflow from our life into other people's lives. And so when I, when, I with, when I withdraw from seeking the wisdom of God, not only am I missing out on a blessing, but those around me are going to miss out on a blessing too. So there's some responsibility there. The fourth point was just if animals, this is, if animals lower than mankind in the creation order, all right, and I'm sure we're going to get to that in Genesis, but there's point number one that not everyone buys into. Animals are lower than humans in the pecking order of creation. And if that is true, and those animals that are lower than us can practice complete obedience and trust, then so should we. So should we. And then the the fifth point is just if we will stop slow down and meditate on the vastness of God, of his knowledge of his care of his concern, of his control and his power and how great that is that's the only way for our heart to be in line with God's heart. And as I was thinking about that, it just—I was thinking about verse twenty-six, where it says, "Does the hawk take flight by your understanding?" You know, I, and the answer is no. And and maybe this is a stretch, but you're not going to take flight by your own understanding. You know, the things that you touch while they may be successful on some level they're never going to be as successful as they can be if it's not attached to the wisdom of god and the only way that I recognize that is when I stop and slow down enough to to pause and meditate on how great he is because it's not in my nature to think about that right but but what it does is it puts me in my place you know because I'm not going to recognize who I am and my place until I recognize who he is and how great he is and it will humble, humble you and it will humble me very quickly so again just real quick through those everything down to the finest detail is important to God you can't buy into the illusion of control and as believers we have to strive to attain God's wisdom and be careful not to act like those who have no regard for it if animals lower than mankind in the creation order can practice complete obedience and trust then so should we And then meditating on the vastness of God is the only way for our heart to be in line with God's heart. It's the only thing that's going to lead us to take flight like the hawk. You know, we're always going to be grounded and we'll never be what God has called us to be if I don't take time to stop and recognize who he is. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for uh, just this conversation that you're willing to have with Job and that it speaks to uh, not only Job, but it speaks to us as well, Lord. And I pray that we would take it to heart, that we would apply it to our lives, that we would recognize how great you are, how infinite you are, and how finite we are. I, I pray that it would humble us, that it would draw us closer to you, and that it would cause us to act in a manner that would bring glory and honor to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.